The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We are here this morning studying the word of God. We are in our Romans review. We are nearing the end of our Romans review. We are in chapter 15. This morning we'll be looking at verses 22 through 33, I believe is the section we're on. That should be page 94 of your notes, moving on into page 95. So we had 95 and 96 printed out for you. Uh, Before we dive in and look at those verses, let's take a moment for silent prayer. We do need to ensure that our hearts are prepared for the study of the Word of God. This silent prayer avails us of the opportunity to confess sins if necessary, but also to humble ourselves so that we might be teachable, shall we pray. Most gracious and merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of being able to gather this morning. We thank you for all the grace provisions that made this possible. Father, I pray that you will work in our hearts to help us to never take these things for granted, to always have a deep appreciation for your grace and your mercy and your love. We thank you that now we have this opportunity to consider the truth of your word as we review to chapter 15 verses in the book of Romans. We ask that you would help us to be ready to learn, to be reminded, to dwell on these things, and to apply them in our daily lives. Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus Christ's most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right, if I have the number right, and I do, the section is Desire to Visit Rome. It is in the concluding remarks, chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. Here's our translation. For this reason, I have been hindered from coming to you many times. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, and I'm able to go to Spain, for I hope to visit you as I pass through, and that you might assist me on my journey there. After I have enjoyed your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to serve the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were well pleased to do so, and they are under obligation to them. For since the Gentiles have received a share in their spiritual things, they are under obligation to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, after I have completed this journey and and have safely delivered this fruit to them, I will go on by way of you to Spain." I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, praying that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove well-pleasing for the saints, to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's look at some principles of this section. Now, again, it almost sounds like that would be the end of the letter, right? But we've actually seen this sort of thing before where Paul has made a statement or a comment 
in one of the verses where it seemed like it was kind of wrapping things up. But we know there's a whole other chapter yet uh, in chapter 16. Regardless of our ministry, we will often encounter hindrances along the way. I don't care what your ministry is. It doesn't matter if it's a ministry of uh, helping around the church, a ministry of coming alongside, being the paraclete, a ministry of serving as an evangelist in some ministry or otherwise, but is whatever, whatever may be in terms of your uh, ministry, hindrances may come. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and 18, But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit. We were all, the, uh, were, uh, excuse me, for a short while, in person, not in spirit. We're all, we're all the more eager to, with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. So Satan has hindered uh, the visit by Paul. And we know if you, if you understand and follow along with the teaching that we've done regarding the various aspects of the will of God, you understand that this happens in the permissive will of God. God permits that to happen. Uh, you say, well, Satan's the one that's bringing it about. And yes, that's what, exactly what Paul says here. Satan hindered us, yet it was God who permitted that to happen, and there was a reason for that not explained here, but there's a hindrance there. So whatever your ministry may be, you might find hindrances along the way. Sometimes it's God himself who redirects our path. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, but the Lord said to my father, David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who will be born to you, he shall build the house for my name. We all know about that. He wanted to build the temple, right? Because the uh, quote unquote house had been a tent, a tabernacle for a long time. And David had it in his heart to build a permanent structure, uh, the temple. And uh, that was a great thing that he wanted to do that. But God said, no. You're not going to do it. Your son's going to do it. So that's a hindrance if you want to think of it in that, in that regard. But it's actually a redirection of, of his path. Nonetheless, you notice that God tells him that he did a good thing. It was a good desire that he had. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Notice that. Been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. After they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. Actually, we're going to look at this. Uh, we're going to actually look at this section uh, when we are beginning and looking at our introduction into Galatia, Galatians. By the way, this is a, one of those things that brings up a question as to exactly who he was addressing in that book. We'll talk about that when we get there. But notice that twice in this passage, uh, there's a redirect by God. Here's one in verse 6, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And that's, you know, that's the western, as it says there, west coast province of Asia Minor. That's what we're really talking about. You don't want to think of modern day Asia when you see that. But then notice in verse 7, it says they were trying to go to Bithynia and the spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So uh, twice in that passage, we see a redirect by God. When a ministry is complete, Jesus Christ, as the head of the church, closes the door that's one thing we need to be comfortable with. Uh, we're okay with open doors, but for some reason we're a little less comfortable with closed doors. 
Uh, Revelation 3, 7, it says, And to the messenger or angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who, hope, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, right? And it goes on from there. But so Christ himself, as the head of the church, he opens doors for ministry, and he shuts doors. He closes doors. Now, truthfully, we ought to be just as thankful for the closed door as the open. In fact, in many cases, in many cases, we, sh- we sh- should be really thankful because they're easier to see. A lot of times when a door opens for ministry, we are not so sure, right? Eh, maybe God's opening that door. I'm not so sure. And there's, a, there's some reasons for that, right? Because the, we, we want to make sure there's a, there's a legitimate reason, which is we want to make sure this is really an open door from God. The other reason, though, is the Moses complex, I call it, right? Yeah, but I'm not very good at speaking, and really I'm not all that... You know, he had a, he had a million excuses, right, as to why he couldn't couldn't do what God was asking him to do. So that's the other reason. But so when it comes to open doors, sometimes we struggle with those. But usually when there's a closed door, it's right in your face and there ain't no denying it. So when God closes a door, it's pretty obvious that the door is closing. So uh, but that's the thing. What happens in many cases, by the way, is that the ministry is complete. Right. After you've completed a ministry then there's really no reason to continue to pursue it. So God closes the door and you go on to a different ministry. The season for that ministry is over. So the door is closed. There's nothing wrong with desiring ministry opportunities, but we must always rely upon the Lord's timing and provision. That's so hard for us because it is in our sin nature to be impatient. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 11. Now that... Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. I'm reading 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 11. I didn't know if I said that. Longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through our faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. Notice the language of this. It's not like we want to see you really badly, so I'll see you next week. No, that's not what he says. What he says here is that may the Lord, may may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. In other words, the prayer here is that as it is God's will and as it is his timing, we'll come to see you. And we're seeking after uh, that which is in accordance with his will, understanding that he's the one that's also going to make provision for that. Right? He's the one that's going to make all the provisions for that to be accomplished. Making open-ended plans demonstrates humble reliance upon God's guidance in his will, not a lack of faith. So what I'm trying to say is don't think that if I, if I say, okay, it's all God's timing and it's all his provision and it's all his will, then I'm not going to make any plans at all whatsoever about anything because I don't know what God has in store. He may change everything. There's nothing wrong with going ahead and making plans is what I'm trying to, st- to say. But The idea is you're going to also rely upon God's guidance. 
1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 7, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia, and perhaps, perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go, for I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. All right, so what he's saying in all of this is, here's what I'm kind of thinking. Here's what I kind of have in mind in, in regards to coming and visiting you. Because I really don't want to just kind of pass through. I want to actually spend some time with you. You notice the same language. He used the same language here in Romans. He was talking about passing through Rome on his way to Spain. But he didn't want to just, you know, go by there for a couple of days. He wanted to go and spend some time with them. He expressed that. So that's his desire here is to, you know, stay with you or even spend the winter. Uh, and, there, and there's the same sentiment here expressed also, by the way, that's in Romans. So that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. In other words, he's asking them to help him on his journey. But he, he goes on to say all of these things. I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits, within the context of the Lord's uh, permitting it to happen, right? If the Lord wills would be another way to say that. We all have to have that sort of thing in mind, you know. Uh, we're going to go and do this or we're going to go and do that if the Lord wills, if the Lord permits. And we have to have that in mind. So make, making plans with the assumption that God's will will either allow it to happen or not is perfectly fine. You can make plans. Now, this is a long section we're going to read here, but it's worthwhile. Christians can be extremely generous when the Spirit moves in their hearts to graciously provide support for those in need. It's in Second Corinthians. This is kind of the passage a lot of people go to. That We're going to read chapter 8 and then all the way through chapter 9, verse 15. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. I'm going to stop before I'm going to go back and read this again. I, I thought it was interesting. So last last Sunday, of course, was Resurrection Sunday, and I had no idea if we were going to finish our study on the resurrection and move on to First Timothy or not. Turns out we spent the whole time on the resurrection, which was fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's an important doctrine in our faith. But there were some long passages in there, and I was reading a lot of... Uh, a lot of scripture during that time, and uh, we had visitors, and I don't know how I don't know how they, you know, responded to that necessarily because I think a lot of churches, if you go to a, a church for Easter Sunday, what you're going to find is that there's going to be some sort of pageantry. Maybe the kids are going to come up and do a little play, and maybe the there's going to be one or two verses read, and then a lot of storytelling and whatnot. And, we spent a lot of time in Scripture last Sunday, and I just, uh, I'm just i kind of curious to see how the visitors <laughs> responded to that. You know, And here again, we have a long section of Scripture that we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But these things are important, right? Spending our time reading the Scriptures is important. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I love that language. That's just, it's, to, to the world, that makes no sense. But I totally get it, that in, in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation. That's the, that is the koinonia. That is what we call fellowship and sharing and for favor of particip, participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged 
Titus, that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now, hang on a second. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. Verse 14. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their needs so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need. Notice the reciprocity there. Uh, there, That there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches of glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this care, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Notice, every, all the, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Verse 9, as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. forever. 
Now he, hang on a second. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread of food, excuse me, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution. Again, that's the same word again, koinonia, contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. See, what's interesting about all of this is he punctuates the whole thing where he's talking about not only the people's readiness, but their God-given ability to do this, right? He talks about their heart's desire, their readiness, their God-given ability to do all these things, not only according to their ability, but beyond their ability. You notice that language in that passage. And he talks about all this giving, this contribution, this participation, all the things that they're doing in terms of supporting ministry. And he punctuates it in verse 15 with thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, is he talking about these monetary things that are going around? No, he's talking about Christ himself. He's talking about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So he talks about, look, whatever you give, God has given even more, right? God has given even more. A grace-oriented believer will consider it a privilege to employ God's grace provision in participating in his work. Acts 16, verses 14 and 15, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira and seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Notice what happens here, though. She responds to what Paul was talking about. And that what do you think he was sharing? The gospel. <laughs> Verse 15, And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. In other words, her response to the, to the gospel message, to being saved, and then subsequently being baptized was to say, look, if you, if you find me faithful, come and stay with us. She wanted right away, she wanted to give, right? She wanted to participate in what they were doing. Second Corinthians 8, 3 through 5, which we just read, by the way. I'm just going to go back and read this one little section. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, which we saw before, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. That's where our heart should be. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So begging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. That's how we should feel about it. Giving should not be something that you do begrudgingly. It should be something that's on your heart. It's like, wow. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, when you, when you find out about all the various ministries and all the different things that are taking place uh, with the, the Billy Graham ministry, right? Franklin and his son even have carried on the ministry of Billy Graham and you find out what all they're doing and the Samaritan's Purse organization and all of that and you really understand all of that, it should be, if, if, if the Lord so moves you, it should be in your heart to support what they're doing. You should, you should actually be just thrilled to be able to participate in the ministries that they have going on. That's just an example. I mean, you may have different ones that you want to support, but that's what I love about this local church and all that we give to ministries outside the church. That's a blessing for us to be able to participate in those ministries. We're thankful to be able to participate in those ministries because they're doing work 
that is not necessarily the work specifically that we would do as this local church, but they're doing work that we want to support. We want to participate in what they're doing. You know, we're not a pregnancy resource center, for example. But what a blessing to be able to participate in that ministry through our financial support and potentially even folks that would volunteer there. Believers can bear fruit on an individual level and a corporate level, right? So in other words, individually we can bear fruit, but as a local church we can bear fruit. John 15, verses 1 through 5, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, you've got to remember this is a fruit-bearing passage. This is not a salvation passage. Don't read any of this and think that it's talking about salvation. It's talking about fruit-bearing. Right? Again, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. By the way, the pruning of us as believers may not necessarily be... A, present, a pleasant uh, enterprise, right? We may find it unpleasant when God prunes us, but we need the pruning so that we'll bear fruit. You, already, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And so that verse, slam dunk, he's talking to people who are already saved. Right? They're already saved. Then in verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. That's not the same thing as positionally being in Christ. This is so important. If you don't understand this, you can't understand a whole lot of what John says. And not only in the Gospel of John, but also what he says in the, in the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Positionally being in Christ, in Christo, as Paul would say it in the, in the Greek, in Christo. Positionally being in Christ, that's something that God did. He put us into Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. That's our position in him. Abiding in him is a moment-by-moment thing. You are in Christ positionally, but are you abiding in him as you walk? Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we abide in Christ, sometimes we abide in our sins, don't we? Right? So abiding is not the same thing. Notice what it says. So abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So in other words, you're not bearing forth fruit, at least not the fruit of the Spirit, when you're abiding in sin, right? It's only when you're abiding in Christ. That's fellowship. That's walking in the light. That's walking by means of the Spirit. That's all of the things. So, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I'll tell you this right now. In my life, when I've been in carnality, I've done a whole lot of things. I'm not going to tell you what they were. Some of them I'm embarrassed of. But I've done a whole lot of things in my carnality. So what is Jesus saying here when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing? He's saying all that stuff was worthless. Nothing. Garbage. Right? It's going to burn up at that big bonfire at my Bema seat judgment. Right? (laughs) So the fact of the matter is there's nothing. We can't accomplish anything apart from Christ. And that's a huge, you know, that's a huge verse. To remember right there, um, yes. So the verse says, "Apart from me, you can do nothing." Uh, so the question was, how can a church thrive? When the Holy Spirit is really not in it, really not in that local church. 
Uh, I would say that the, I, I, it would all be according to the definition of the word thrive. Because they might have well, their seats filled, they might have their parking lot filled, they might have their coffers filled. They might be somebody that the news media comes and talks to whenever there's some sort of spiritual thing going on. There might be all sorts of things that, that are quote-unquote thriving in that local church. Are they thriving spiritually? The answer is no. They're not thriving spiritually at all. They look, they have the appearance of thriving, but they're not thriving at all. Yeah, it's all empty. It's whitewashed tombs, right? Looks good on the outside, but it's dead on the inside. John 15, 8 and 16 says here, John 15, 8 says, My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now here, he, we're, we're again, the, the corporate context here is this group of individuals, right? The disciples as a group. So he's saying that you, my disciples, bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This, of course, is... John chapter 15, Upper Room Discourse, after Judas is gone. All right, we're getting ready to read this, by the way. This is in our upcoming reading this week. In our two-year through the reading, Bible reading plan, we're going to be reading in, through the Upper Room Discourse. And this is talk, he's talking to his disciples and saying that God, my Father is glorified by this, that you, as a group, my disciples, bear much fruit. That's, I would say the same thing for this local church. As this local church as a corporate body, bears fruit. God is pleased with that, and God is glorified by that. We, as a body, we can bear fruit individually and corporately. Down in verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. So the point is, again, this you is plural here. You, he's still talking to them as a group. That you would go and bear fruit and that you, your fruit, excuse me, would remain. Those are plurals. The idea being that as a group, they can bear fruit. And prayers of the saints are sought after and treasured by those who are engaged in ministry. And all I can say to that is amen. <laughs> amen and amen. Uh, anybody who's engaged in ministry uh, and really, truly, and that's the word engaged is really important. If you're actually engaged in some sort of memory, ministry, excuse me, engaged in some sort of ministry, then you are very much uh, thankful for and uh, seek after the prayers of the saints. Second Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a, a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Very important. Here they were going through this unbelievable trial and the thankfulness was there for the prayers that were supporting him. Now, notice he says, look, uh, <clears throat> we thought we were going to die. And we know that if we had died, where was our confidence? Our trust was in God who can even raise us from the dead, right? Even if we died, it's okay because God's going to raise us up. But he actually delivered them from that, and they didn't die physically. But they were confident. 
either way. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf. I love it. Paul is not at all ashamed to ask for prayer on his behalf. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I ask the same prayers of you. Pray for me, and I've heard some of you pray for me when we've had corporate prayer meetings. Pray for me that I will remain steadfast in the truth of God's word and boldly proclaim the things of his word and not back away, not be shy. You, if, you, if you think, let me tell you what, if you think for a minute that I'm not capable of backing away and falling away from the faith, let me tell you about my history. No, we're not going to do that, actually. We're not going to do that, but I promise you any one of us is capable of falling away from the faith. Any one of us is capable from, from being overcome by cultural forces and everything else. And uh, it's amazing to see what happens. And it's amazing how Satan will find whatever, whatever it is that he needs uh, in order to be able to try to persuade you. And I've seen it before with individuals that were rock solid in their faith and steadfast on the things that were the truth of God's word. And then they had a child. And their child came out as gay. And now all of a sudden... They totally change their views on what's right and wrong with regard to sexuality because Satan found the exact thing that he knew would pull them away from the faith, right? So keep praying for me. Keep praying for me and for my, my beautiful wife that we'll, may, we'll remain steadfast and we won't fall away and that we won't shy away from declaring the truth. These things are important. I need your prayers. When God puts a burden on our heart, we should pray for those involved. Whenever I mean, you could, you know what I'm talking about. You've had it happen before, where all of a sudden you're, you've got someone on your mind, and you know, you're, you know that the Holy Spirit is moving you to pray for these individuals. And it may be something that you've heard about. It may be something that uh, you only, you only know a little bit about, or whatever. But nonetheless, when that burden is on your heart, go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Colossians four. I don't know why it didn't take me to Colossians, but. We'll turn there, Colossians 4, 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always striving intently on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand firm, mature, and fully confident in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has worked hard for you and for those we're in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Notice this language, striving intently on your behalf in his prayers. He has a true burden on his heart for the Colossian believers. And so he's praying for them constantly, praying for them. He strives for them. He works hard for them. But a big part of that is his prayers. Anytime we are involved in evangelistic ministries, we will find opposition. That is a, that's a guarantee. If you have the heart for sharing the gospel, you will find yourself under attack. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches. This is First uh, Thessalonians 2, 14 through 16. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, being hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. 
with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Interestingly, if you, that's one of the things that almost it almost makes me laugh if it were not so sad that when you're reading through the Gospels and you hear these these Jewish leaders and they're going, wow, we've got to stop this guy because he, if he keeps going around, all these people are going to get saved. I mean, they say that all these people are going to believe him and get saved. And they're like, we can't let that happen. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost laughable if it, if it weren't so sad. Second uh, Thessalonians three, one through three. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So the idea is, look, when when you're under attack, God's got the ability to protect you from the evil one. But you will be under attack if you're trying to share the gospel. Indeed, every believer who desires to follow the will of God will face persecution. Second Timothy three ten through 12. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings. A lot of people are really happy about verse 10, but then it gets to verse 11 and they're not so happy anymore. Right. You followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be. That's a promise of God not many of us claim. We don't have that up on our refrigerator, probably. You don't have a little thing that says, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's probably not one that's up there, but that's a promise of God. It's going to happen. Uh, True happiness or joy, I like to call it joy, uh, comes through the outworking of faith in the Christian walk. That's if you want to understand if you want to understand how you can have joy. I'm talking about the real deal. Right. The thing that your heart really desires. I mean, if you think about it, there's an emptiness in so many people. And what they really desire is to be able to have this kind of joy that is only promised through this type of thing if you want to have true happiness and i'm not talking about giggling at a funny joke i'm talking about true joy in your soul it comes through the outworking of faith in the christian walk so in other words what does that require and when i say that you have to first be a christian (laughs) you have to first be born again right you can't get this joy without being born again but then as a born again believer it needs to be a walk of faith. It needs to be the outworking of faith in your life. That's where joy comes from. Second Corinthians 1, 24. It says here, not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you are standing firm. You notice the connection between their walk of faith and the joy. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you are standing firm. Philippians 1.25. See, there it goes. Okay, that one worked. Philippians 1.25 says, Having been convinced of this, I know for sure that I will remain and continue with you all for your advancement and joy in the faith. In the faith, right? The joy in the faith. Of course, it goes on verse 26, So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. But notice that that's the whole thing. Your advancement and joy in the faith. So they, he wants them to advance in the faith. 
and he wants them to have joy in the faith. Ultimately, that's what I want you to have joy. I know that. I want all of you to have joy. Here it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So the desire is that the, that the people would have joy. That's what rejoicing always is the idea of always having joy. Always having joy. The one we worship is all about peace, not confusion. First Thessalonians 14.33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Now, there's a context for this. Verse 40, by the way, it goes on to say, but all things must be done properly in an orderly manner. Since God is not a God of confusion, we shouldn't do things in in a way that's chaotic and confusing, should we? We should do things orderly and properly. Because that's how, that's how God is. He's a God of peace. It's, it's interesting. Uh, the world, though, is the world about confusion? Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I, I saw somebody who made a comment about something and said, you know, it is amazing. And it really is to me. It's amazing what a, what an, uh, a job the, uh, the media, Hollywood, all these others, all these other influences, uh, you know, TikTok, whatever it might be, all these things have done to influence people who are openly accepting utter and complete insanity when it comes to this woke stuff. I mean, I mean, all it takes is just a modicum of sanity to look at this and go, what? These people that these people that are, you know, Anheuser-Busch is putting this trans thing on the on their cans of beer. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's mentally ill. They shouldn't be celebrated and put on a can of beer. They should be given help. These are people that desperately need help. They're mentally ill, and yet they're being celebrated. I mean, who? I, it's really hard to, hard to fathom. I mean, that to me, what has happened is that this exact concept, the reason I brought that up is because of the confusion idea. That's what's happened is everybody's been just completely confused by all of this. And how does that happen, by the way? Let me take you to back to where it all can be rooted in. If I tell you, I'm serious about this, not joking. If I tell you that all of this came about as a result of randomness and evolution, all of this was just some sort of lightning strike that somehow produced an, a, a single cell of life, and from that single cell of life, Everything evolved into you, and you're only one little notch away from an ape, right? You're no different than an ape except for a few chromosomes, right? Or, I mean, a few, a few differences in your DNA or whatever, right? Everything, if, 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 seriously, if you develop a whole mindset, a worldview on the basis of that, then how hard it is it for me to come along and convince you by the way, you know, this whole thing you've been thinking about, all these people, you've been, you've been incorrect on that. You need to adjust your thinking. In other, words, in other words, you need to evolve. You see where I'm going with this? You need to evolve because your thinking is primitive, thinking that these individuals who are living that lifestyle are mentally ill. Although, although in psychiatry for years and years and years, gender dysphoria was considered mental illness. Now they're telling you you are primitive if you don't if you think that these people are mentally ill and you need to evolve. See how that see how that whole thing happens. So if if I can get this idea of evolution 
embedded in your thinking now, well, you need to evolve, right? You need to, you need to be woke so that you evolve into a modern thinker. You know, it's easy. This, it's one step to the next. It's not hard to see that happening. Yes? Yeah, well, scientists that know better. That's really a fascinating thing. If you, Yeah, that's right. That's the problem, exactly. The problem with science today is 99% of it is government-funded, right? And so if a scientist speaks up against global warming, if a scientist speaks up against any of these woke concepts, their funding gets pulled, right? So they can't, they've, they've got to hide in the shadows. They can't say that kind of thing. I mean, believe it or not, the, the, the elite scientists... I've said this before, the elite scientists of the world do not accept evolution because it's got too many flaws. They think it's bogus. There has to be some other explanation. But yet, what are we doing? We're teaching it in all of our schools. You know, it'd be one thing. It would Honestly, it would be one thing if we, if we taught evolution and creationism side by side and taught it in a way where both were presented as equally plausible, right? Equally plausible that would be one thing, right? I mean, I believe evolution is not really that plausible. But my point is, right now, the way it is in schools, all they're teaching is evolution. Don't you dare teach about a creator God. So, but yet evolution itself has been debunked. Not, I mean, not that things don't evolve, right? There's, so, if, like, for instance, there's, there's, there's evidence in the creation that things actually evolve. I'm talking about evolution as the origin of the species. Darwinianism, in other words. Keeping it in context, what do you mean? Yeah, well, they've, I'll give you an example. So one of the famous cases, one of the famous cases uh, that Darwin used uh, was of some birds. I don't remember exactly where, but there were some birds that when they went through a drought season, these birds ended up getting longer beaks because it enabled them, right? They started, their beaks became longer because then they were able to go and get food easier during the drought season. But, what, of course, what then Darwin didn't point out is that when the rains came, the beaks got shorter again, right? So the idea of an adaptation, is, I guess, is a better word to use. The idea of an adaptation, that happens. But I, I believe our bodies, our bodies that God created have had to adapt to the changing environment that we live in. And I think God designed them that way. Um, but here's the thing. To extrapolate from that to the idea that that's where we came from, not only is it disprovable, but it's absurd, actually. It's an absurd notion to suggest that the reason that we're here is because of adaptation within a species. So far, by the way, how many species, how many species have we seen spawned anew through adaptation? Can anyone tell me? Zero. Not one. Oh. Yeah, they, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's the thing, right? So in, there, in the evolutionary theory, Darwinian theory, there are these massive leaps of faith is what it comes down to. They have no explanation, and you just have to believe that it's true. And the reality of it is that's why I like the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, because it actually takes in some way more faith to believe in that. Because, it's, because there's no, there really isn't proof of it. The God of peace will equip us for every good work and manifest in us the things that are pleasing in his sight. Um, 
Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now, the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, that, to me, those, that, that is, I love these verses because working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. That is the only way you can do anything that's pleasing in God's sight is when he's working in you to do that which is pleasing in his sight. Equipping us to, in every good thing to do his will, right? He, he equips us. He works in us. I love that. I mean, that's, that's, that's God bringing it about. As we practice the things we learn about, the God of peace, right? As we learn more and more about the God of peace and we practice the things that we learn about the God of peace, he will be with us, Philippians 4, 9. The things which you have learned and accepted and heard about and observed in me, put these things into practice and the God of peace will be with you. There's a lot in that verse right there. You have to learn it. You have to believe it. You hear about and observe things that other people are doing. Put these things into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. You will be able to have, in other words, you will be able to have the peace that surpasses understanding. Right? That, is a, that is a blessing that I don't think any of us should take lightly. In this world, the darkness of this world, the chaos, the confusion, uh, the, the proliferation of lies in this world that we live in, uh, to be able to have the peace that surpasses understanding is a great, fantastic grace gift from God to be able to have that. All right, we're going to come back next time and we will look at Phoebe the deaconess, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 16. But for now, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to review these verses. And I always find it wonderful that in these verses that are part of the concluding remarks of a letter, this long letter that has so much doctrine in it, and here as we look at the concluding remarks of this letter, we also will find wonderful truths that have been preserved by you that we can learn from, that we can apply in our daily lives. So thank you for preserving this for us. Thank you for thank you for showing us the truth in the midst of a world that wants to lie to us constantly. And Father, thank you more than anything for sending your son to die for us on that cross that we might have eternal life through him. We thank you and praise you in his most precious and holy name. Amen.